The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to She Talks Health with Sophie Shepard. Today's woman has a lot of questions about their health and lifestyle choices. But where can you get the right answers? The answer is here and the time is now. Here is your host, Sophie Shepard. Welcome back, ladies, to She Talks Health. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, functional nutrition practitioner and women's menstrual health coach coming to you on the Health and Wellness Channel for Voice America, the largest live internet radio network in the world. Hello to the U.S. and Canada, and a special shout out to my friends in Australia for tuning in last week. And thank you so much for tuning into today's show. I'm so grateful to you for that. It is truly my pleasure to show up here each and every week and talk about the latest in women's menstrual health, digestive health, and all the other things. So if you're looking for more information on that, you can always check me out on Instagram and Facebook at She Talks Health. Now on to today's show. I'm so excited for this guest that we have on today. Um, We are going to be talking all about polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. 10% of all women have PCOS. So this is a huge, huge uh, female endocrine disorder. And this is one of the number one, or I think the, the number one cause of infertility for women. So we are going to be talking all about how PCOS um, causes a cascade of issues, not just reproductive, what the syndrome can cause and what we can do about it from a lifestyle and nutrition perspective with our special guest, who is Dr. Felice Gersh, who is quite literally one of a kind. She is a fellowship trained, double board certified integrative OBGYN, and she uses the best of lifestyle, nutrition, targeted supplementation, acupuncture, massage, IV therapies, mind body medicine, and exercise in her integrative practice. So we are so blessed to have you. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today, Dr. Gersh. Well, I am so happy to join you here. You hit everything right on the head with all of your introduction to PCOS. It is the most common endocrine disorder of women, and it is also the most common cause of infertility. Wow, what a huge deal for for us women that are dealing with PCOS. And I know that you are also a PCOS warrior. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your your own journey? And before you do, I just wanted to tell you, I think I mentioned this in email, but I was reading through um, Dr. Gersh's introduction to her book, PCOS SOS, which everyone should run out and buy right now (laughs) if you have PCOS. And her journey just, it really made me tear up because it was so authentic and um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you discovered you had PCOS and where you are now with it? Sure. Well, this goes way back. I was in my late teens. I just suffered from terrible acne, and I went to dermatologists who couldn't help me, and I thought if I could just clean my face better. <laughs> so I took alcohol, and I would just rub my face with alcohol, and my skin would crack and the pimples, and the cysts would just be there anyway. And it was just so emotionally devastating. And then my, my periods just went away. And I was um, just having very irregular cycles. And then um, I was in medical school. And two years had passed. I hadn't had a single period. So I went to one of the higher-ups in the OBGYN department, a very renowned, very respected gynecologist. And 
I said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, like something is obviously really wrong with me. And he just said, like, women don't even like having periods anyway. Just go on birth control pills. Like, you know, you're not even trying to get pregnant. So it doesn't matter. And it's like, this seems so wrong. But I followed directions, you know. I'm trying to be obedient. So I went on birth control. Of course. They made me feel really sick and nauseated. And I just didn't like it. And I ended up going on my own search because I was getting absolutely nowhere. And at that time, PCOS was really considered what was called Stein-Leventhal syndrome, which was you had to be like massively hirsute, like you were shaving with massive beard. And I had definitely a few hairs, but I didn't have to like, um, I didn't look like the bearded lady, which is what a lot of people thought PCOS was like the most extreme of extreme. And I was actually the lean form of PCOS. So basically, I had to rediscover what PCOS was all about because the medical world had really not looked into it. And over time, I came to understand that I did have PCOS and I had to find my own solutions. When I came time, when it did come time, I wanted to have a baby. I had very irregular cycles and I did have to have fertility drugs for the first one. But thereafter, I did so much better with lifestyle and I was able to conceive naturally after the first one. So um, it was just one of those self-diagnosed, self-treated type of conditions that so many women now are taking really their own initiative to take charge of their own health. And I had to do this so many years ago because as is really the case now, the conventional medical world, although they're better at diagnosing it, although I think the statistics are that women go to like six different doctors before they actually do get diagnosed because they're not putting it together and they're not looking at the whole woman and all the different organ systems that are impacted. So although things have come quite a bit a ways down the road since when I began with my journey with PCOS, still there's so much that needs to be done, so much more education And that's why I had to write the book with my daughter, who is also a PCOS warrior, because we really want to get the word out that this condition has its roots in genetics, as we'll talk about, and in lifestyle issues that some of which we can and some of which we can't control things that we can't always change in our past. But there's so much we can change for our future to really take charge of our destiny and change the trajectory into one of health and happiness. Wow. I am so happy that you're on the show because this is going to blow so many women's minds about how much control they actually do have and what things they have to kind of let go. You know, like you mentioned, there's genetic factors and I know we'll probably talk about things like early exposure to BPAs and mm-hmm. things like this that you, you're so well researched on. One thing I want to just pull out of the story that you just told us and thank you so much for actually being a pioneer, I believe, in all of the PCOS, you know, understanding and research, but also just being in in a pioneer in empowering yourself so that you can show other women how they can empower themselves and be their own advocates. Something you said about your your experience with this renowned um, OBGYN was that, you know, he said, well, women don't even like having periods. So and you're not trying to get pregnant. So just go on birth control. Now, as a functional diagnostic nutrition <laughs> practitioner that works on women's menstrual health, I obviously this makes my skin crawl, right? And the reason being is that the, the woman's reproductive cycle is is so beautiful, first of all. And secondly, it's a sign of vital health, right? So this is a, this is kind of like a big thing. And I realized that when you said it, you also intuitively knew 
hey, this doesn't exactly sound right. I was curious if you could explain like why that, if that mentality is still, still present and why that is there and maybe fuse that in with, because this is a big thing that I hear a lot from my PCOS women is they're confused about how PCOS is diagnosed, like what it really is. And there seems to be a fair amount of confusion around and controversy around kind of the label of polycystic ovarian syndrome. So even when talking to a doctor, there's some, there's some confusion and why do we need to treat it? Could you kind of talk into this and, and how do we kind of get clear on, on this syndrome? Well, first, I do want to applaud you and every other woman out there who embraces the beauty of the menstrual cycle and owns it as part of femininity and health. So that is such a vital sign, as you said, of female health. And women with PCOS lose that. And that is really so important. And so in conventional medicine, it's so symptom oriented that they don't look at the underlying issues of true health. They're just trying to cover up symptoms. It's really painful when, you're, when you see this happening. So when a woman has irregular cycles, their goal isn't to actually repair the cycle and get women to be healthy and really having the proper balance of hormones. No, they want to just take the system down and cover it up, basically whitewash it with oral contraceptives, which are not human hormones. They're hormones in the family that they actually act on receptors, but they're not human hormones at all. And so this is really, you know, a huge deal. We, we need to go back to fundamentals and recognize that there's a reason why we were endowed with this beautiful rhythm of hormones that is that's so key to being healthy. And now what's happening is for, and you deal with this all the time, for a host of reasons, a very high percentage of young women with and without PCOS are having problems with their menstrual cycles and going on oral contraceptives. Now, in women with PCOS, oral contraceptives are particularly hazardous in that when you look at what oral contraceptives do in terms of their risk factors, they, because they are not real human hormones and they don't establish the beautiful normal rhythm, they are associated with things like increasing risk of high blood pressure, increasing blood clots, they're actually inflammatory. They alter in a very negative way the gut microbiome, which we can you know, definitely talk about, which is a big issue for women with PCOS. So basically, in many ways, they aggravate a lot of the underlying issues that women with PCOS are suffering with and cover it with these you know, not human hormones. So sometimes I call them pretend hormones. I mean, they, they fit in anything that reacts and binds to a hormone receptor could be called a hormone, but I don't like to dignify them with that term because they would never be found in a human. And there's really a fine line between what is called a pharmaceutical, a hormone, and an endocrine disruptor. And actually, technically, if you go to the toxicology NIH, National Institutes of Health website for the US government, it actually lists all the ingredients in oral contraceptives as what they are, endocrine disruptors. So there are many endocrine disruptors that are also masquerading as pharmaceuticals. So we really need to, to really recognize what's happening. And absolutely, I didn't really understand why um, we were going to cover up my problem when, way back when I went to that renowned you know, physician at a major university medical center, you know, why we would cover it up and not try to fix me but that has not changed. That is the paradigm of today. And most 
most OBGYNs today actually have this real love for birth control pills. It's really astounding to me. You know, this they're like it's like brainwashing into loving pharmaceuticals instead yeah. of loving the innate abilities of the body to heal itself and to embrace those issues. Thank you for going so far into the birth control conversation. I know it's a really controversial conversation to have and you're well studied on it. And it's funny because even on Instagram, I get like, I get, you know, hate messages from OBGYNs whenever I even suggest (laughs) that someone consider something other than, you know, hormonal birth control. And of course, there's always a time and a place for medication. But like you said, it is an endocrine disruptor. And especially for PCOS women with the, the risks that we are talking about here, it kind of makes things even worse right? And um, especially when we look at the root cause of PCOS, which we'll talk about in terms of gut dysbiosis being one of them, it's uh, it's really hard too. And I mean, I've never had PCOS, but I've certainly had my slew of, you know, Hashimoto's um, and other uh, hormonal imbalances. And one of the things that strikes me is how challenging it is for women. I get this a lot and I get a lot of tears uh, in my practice from women who've been through a lot of OBGYNs who've been told just to medicate it with hormonal birth control or, you know, to take an antidepressant or these other things. And they feel really de- defeated and like they can't trust their doctors. And this is such a shame because there's such a beautiful place for doctors in their lives. And I wonder if you could share, this was something I was going to ask you later, but since we kind of brought it up in the first 15 minutes, I wonder if you could share, you know, how do women navigate this with their doctors? Like how, how can they intelligently have these conversations um, with their doctors about what the best uh, treatment protocol might be. And uh, after that, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, more what PCOS is and where it comes from. And, and but if, I'm just curious what you think about that. Well, it is very difficult because the medical education, which I've been very involved with, is really not going into a heal the patient kind of a mode. It's really still into cover the symptom mode. And and so most doctors are not really trained to deal with lifestyle medicine approaches. You know, they talk about this over and over, how little attention is spent in medical school to anything that has to do with stress control, with actual quality sleep, you know, that doesn't involve giving drugs, which is not quality sleep to looking at nutrition of all things, you know, such a key factor in health, um, fitness. There's almost no attention to those things. And it's really a shame. So a lot of doctors, they want to help. Of course, they really believe in the Hippocratic Oath. They really want to help. They don't want to do harm, but they don't have the tools. But if you ask the doctor, you have a relationship and you say, you know, doctor, I really understand where you're coming from. Because doctors, by the way, hate to be attacked or challenged. It's just how they're bred. So they, they, want, um, to, they don't want to be disrespected. So they want to feel like it, it's a team. And they really appreciate sort of a gentler approach, we'll say. So if you say like, doctor, I really appreciate that you're trying to help me and that you're recommending this, these array of, this array of drugs, for example, and say, you know, and I'm not... Um, against considering them. But before I take a pharmaceutical, I'd really like to try to deal with the underlying issues in my body to see if I can heal myself to not need to be on a drug. So can you give me some suggestions? Can you or direct me or steer me in a direction that I can work with my body's ability to heal? Can you talk to me about 
how I can deal with stress or sleep or nutrition or fitness. Or if that's not really what you do, perhaps you can make a referral to help me to at least spend a few months trying to go down a different path before I come back and consider the pharmaceuticals, which I'd really like to see if I can handle this in another way first. In fact, when you look at pharmaceuticals, for example, and you see this on ads on television, when it comes to statins, those are the drugs that are very heavily prescribed to lower cholesterol. They actually say, it's part of the commercial, they'll say, when lifestyle measures fail, right? They say, when lifestyle measures, when diet and exercise fail, then, you know, consider this drug. So, of course, you know, most doctors think, well, they always fail because lifestyle measures always fail. Well, that's not what I think. You know, I think that it's about motivation. It's about education and, and a lot of support. So I think, you know, if a patient says, you know, I know that drugs are sort of a backup, but, you know, after diet and exercise and lifestyle measures are tried and if they don't work, but let's try them first. So mm. help me, help me, steer me, whatever you can do to help me so that I can, even if I end up on some of the drugs, like I, for example, can never guarantee that every single woman that I care for will spontaneously conceive. I mean, I wish I could, but I, I can't make that guarantee. Many of my patients do, but not 100%. But even the ones who I can't get to regularly ovulate, maybe they'll sporadically ovulate. There, It's just really a challenge. Maybe their body load of BPA is higher or whatever. So even if they end up doing assisted reproductive technology to get pregnant, they will have higher, really substantially higher success rates because that's unfortunately not something that is very successful for women with PCOS who end up in that sort of fertility dilemma because assisted reproductive techniques have high failure rates with PCOS. But we can improve those rates substantially. And when they do get pregnant, their pregnancies will be less complicated with gestational diabetes and gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and so forth, because women with PCOS also tend to have high rates of pregnancy-related complications. So even when we don't successfully get someone to conceive spontaneously, we can reduce all of the complications, improve their success rates in other ways. So I never want people to think that if they do end up taking a pharmaceutical, that it's a failure. It's still, it's just part of the process. And a lot of women who don't even get offered women with PCOS, the lifestyle path, the natural path. And that should always be part of the treatment protocol, even if pharmaceuticals do end up having to be used as well. Thank you for explaining, first of all, how women can feel empowered to speak to their doctors and for even just you know, explaining the human condition and certainly a doctor's position that they want to be, you know, appreciated and heard too. I mean, doctors have gone through medical school. They've gone through a lot of training to help you. And this is the drugs or surgery are typically the tools that they have. But like you mentioned, there are other tools that we can try first and kind of more of a preventative model. And we'll go through as much of that as we can in the second half of the show. Before we get there, I'd love to back up a little bit because I love talking about this part, but I want to make sure that anyone who's listening, who doesn't really have a grasp on what polycystic ovarian syndrome is and the collection of symptoms can listen and maybe even identify it and speak to their doctor. So um, let's back up to, you know, what is PCOS? Like, how is it diagnosed? There's a lot of controversy there. And what are these symptoms that are common with PCOS patients? Great. That is definitely something we should cover. I'm so glad yes. you, you brought me back to that because we can't assume that, you know, a lot of people are new to this and they have to, we have to start with the foundations. So 
polycystic ovary syndrome has acquired its name because a very high percentage of women with this condition on ultrasound will have ovaries that have like little circles, like little cysts that are around the rim or the cortex of the ovaries. And it looks sometimes it's referred to as a ring of pearls. <clears throat> so, you know, that's kind of pretty. <laughs> so, yes. think of them, you know, but what it really is representing is that the follicles of the ovary are being recruited, but they're not being properly matured. And one is not what I call it the special one is not being selected for ovulation. So if we back up the diagnosis, which was decided by committees, right? Doctors get together and they decide this is what we do to label something. So, and there've been some disputes about this, by the way, because now the, the label can be applied to any woman with two of the following three symptoms. One is irregular cycles or no cycles, right? So they have some real dysfunction with their menstrual cycles. They have evidence either clinically or by laboratory testing of elevated androgens. So androgens are sometimes called male hormones, but of course they're in females as well, but just in a very much smaller amount. And that would include testosterone, that's the primary one, but also the adrenal androgen, DHEA sulfate, dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate. And that actually is elevated as a single androgen elevation in about 13% of women with sort of a variant, <clears throat> a variant of PCOS. So, the, and then the third one is the ultrasound finding where you have that many, many, many little um, ring of pearls of those little cysts. They're not big cysts. A lot of women get mixed up and they think they're big cysts. No, they're tiny little cysts and they're little tiny follicular cysts that are around the rim. So what's happening in women with PCOS is the feedback system. It's very complex and it involves the more we learn, the more complexity we see in this whole process. It's involving the hypothalamic area of the brain that puts out little releasing factors that go to the pituitary, the pituitary itself, but all, and then of course the ovaries. But now we're understanding it also involves fat tissue because fat makes hormones that are called adipokines. Sometimes they're called hormones, sometimes they're called cytokines, but they're informational signaling agents. And they also are very involved with the entire system of menstrual cycle regulation and ovulation. And of course, there's other things involved. I mean, the thyroid gland gets involved in the adrenal. So it's a very complex system and it's really off in women with PCOS. And for a variety of reasons, they don't ovulate and they just keep, keep recruiting follicles and they just don't mature properly. And one is not selected to ovulate and so they don't get their menstrual cycles. And I think that's a really important uh, distinguishing factor that what women who are listening might want to pay attention to and, and get tested with their doctor is you can have, ladies, amenorrhea, you can have missing cycles or irregular cycles and it can be caused by something that's not PCOS. So as I understand from your book and from the research I've done, PCOS is also a diagnosis of a syndrome by exclusion, right? There's other things we want to make sure it's less likely, but someone could have, you know, an irregular cycle for another reason for, and they would need to make sure that they have the two of those three qualifying factors in order to be fully diagnosed with PCOS. Absolutely. There is a condition, it's pretty rare, but it's called acquired adrenal hyperplasia 
where it's really an adrenal problem, where there's a problem with the maturation of the different hormone systems, and you end up with too much of the DHEA sulfate, and that is treated in a completely different way. It's really a different problem, but it can also manifest with hirsutism, acne, hair loss, which is getting into the symptoms, right, that we're going to cover. What are the symptoms of PCOS? And of course, you want to make sure that you don't have elevated prolactin. That can be another hormone that comes from the pituitary. People can have pituitary tumors. So there's a variety of other less common things. But you do want to do the diligence, right? So that's where you do need to have a physician because these are not things that you should do for yourself. So you really can take charge of a lot with your lifestyle. But in terms of the diagnosis, you really do want to have a qualified physician. Make sure you get the right test to make sure that you actually get the right diagnosis, of course. And then, as you mentioned, in terms of the symptoms, in terms of the obvious physical symptoms, there tends to be evidence of elevated androgens in most cases, and that can manifest with really recalcitrant cystic acne. Sometimes they call it like hormonal acne, where you have, it's on the jawline typically, and it's deep cysts, and it's really very resistant to a lot of the conventional topicals because it's really deep from within. It's, so putting a lot of topicals on the skin often will have very little benefit. So it's a very challenging type of acne for the conventional dermatologists. And so they rush to wanting to put people on antibiotics and often Accutane, which can have other serious long-term repercussions. So those are things to be, you know, beware, but you need to definitely work on getting your skin cleared. And a lot of the things that we do to improve the cycles and the overall health will dramatically improve the acne. And that's really a wonderful thing to see. And then often there's some hirsutism that's like facial hair. No woman wants to have to shave, but that, or, but a lot of times, of course, people are doing laser hair reduction and electrolysis to deal with that. But it could be hair on other parts of the body, like on the chest or the back. That, so it's like too much male type hair on a female. And then male pattern baldness, but not in the sense of a full man getting bald. And, but it's like um, androgenic alopecia is what it's called. So you get some thinning of the hair over time. And the hairline may also recede over time as well. And also not something that females love. And then a very high percentage will have significant overweight and obesity. And so that's another very common manifestation of PCOS. So those are some of the big you know, physical findings. And then there's a whole host of metabolic findings like insulin resistance and all like prediabetes and then vascular issues. So there is a vascular problem with inflammation in the lining, more hypertension, and that leads into a lot of pregnancy-related complications like gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, hypertension. So all the metabolic issues are also heightened in women with PCOS. And then they have inflammation in general, so they tend to have more joint pain, more mood problems, more sleep problems, more gut problems, more irritable bowel, and higher rates of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So it's like it can be overwhelming when you really start looking at it. And that's why women often go to a multitude of different types of specialists and get lost in the system. And that's why we try to put it together so that people see it's one whole and that it's not, it's manifesting in different ways, but the underlying issues are not that many. You know, once you really understand the process and what's going on, you can see how it can manifest with a whole host of symptoms, but you don't have to treat it 
with like 20 different approaches. That's the good news. Dr. Gersh, thank you so much for explaining these symptoms for women who are listening all over the world who might be feeling like there's something really wrong with them and they don't know what it is because a lot of these things are seemingly unrelated if you didn't know this information Mm -hmm. or you didn't have a PCOS diagnosis. And um, for those of you who are listening and are totally freaked out, like, oh my gosh, I have PCOS. Am I going to get diabetes? Am I going to get hypertension? Like, am I going to get Hashimoto's? There is hope, uh, which is what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. We'll talk about what are those few, few root causes of uh, PCOS and, you know, why this isn't just a gynecological disorder, you know, how these hormones work as much as we can and what you can do. And don't forget that Dr. Gersh wrote an entire book, ladies, PCOS, SOS, that goes into all the science and everything that you can do. So we will be back right after the break. Thank you so much so far for uh, tuning in. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Sophie Shepard is a functional nutrition practitioner and founder of She. Sophie helps busy women all over the world go from hormonal chaos to optimal hormonal alignment so they can live their lives fully without being held back by their bodies. Using the power of functional lab testing combined with life-changing mindset shifts and integrating the entire body's system. If the only thing holding you back is your health, it's time to stop letting hormonal chaos run your world book your health discovery call today by going to shetalkshealth.com are you done medicating and guessing your way through the exhaustion pain and irritability caused by hormonal and digestive health issues sophie shepherd founder of she will help you go from symptom ridden and confused to finally having clarity about how your hormones work and confidence in your health strategy in just 10 days. If you are ready to stop living with no energy, brain fog, anxiety, digestive issues, and painful periods, then check out the 10-Day Digestive and Hormone Reboot at SheTalksHealth.com. We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. You are listening to She Talks Health. If you have a question or comment about the show... Send an email to sophie at she-nyc.com. That's sophie at she-nyc.com. Now back to She Talks Health. Welcome back, ladies. This is Sophie Shepard. And if you have resonated with this episode so far, please make sure to go over and give us a five-star review or shoot us a comment on iTunes, Spotify, your favorite podcast listening platform, and I'll be sure to answer it. I love hearing from you guys and being able to answer your questions on the next episode. And let's dive right back in with Dr. Felice Gersh, all about addressing PCOS. Before the break, we talked about what is PCOS, and we learned a little bit about her 
her personal journey. Uh, we also talked about the collection of symptoms that come along with PCOS and how you can speak to your doctor if you suspect you have PCOS or you've recently been diagnosed with it. Now, with the last part of our episode here, we want to talk about what are those root causes of PCOS um, and how it affects the entire body. What are some of the hormones that are at play and where do we start? There's, it's kind of overwhelming for a lot of PCOS women. So we want to make sure we give you some tangible things to, to take away. And again, Dr. Gersh has written an entire book called PCOS SOS. So please go pick that up for even more information. So Dr. Gersh, let's pick up where we left off. We talked about some of these symptoms like acne um, and hair twism and prediabetes and, and all these things that kind of come along with PCOS. But as you mentioned, and as we know from the research, there are really just a handful, small handful of root causes of PCOS that if we affect those can affect the changes in our symptomology. So can you go through those root causes that you find uh, often in your practice? Sure. Well, if we go fundamentally, PCOS has existed in women to probably since about the beginning of humanity. And it was a mild defect way back in, say, ancient times. So in the ovary, there's this interesting, I call it like an assembly line. So the ovary makes testosterone, and then testosterone moves from one group of cells to the next group of cells where it's converted into estradiol, the main estrogen that the ovary makes. So you need to have a certain enzyme called aromatase to make this conversion of testosterone into estradiol, the estrogen. And women with PCOS have an innate mild defect in terms of that enzyme function. So it doesn't work quite as well as it does in other women, but it doesn't really make a big difference if that's the only thing. And that's just a genetic thing. You know, we have so many different genetic variations among us. And so in ancient times, women who had PCOS they would have a little bit more testosterone because they had this little mild um, you know, block in their assembly line. So, but it wasn't majors. But it actually is interesting because having that little bit of extra testosterone, it didn't masculinize them. It didn't give them a beard or anything like that, but it gave them more muscle. And it may have changed their brain a little bit. They may have been more you know, outgoing, maybe more fearless, you know, braver. And they were like the leaders. They were the, the tribal leader women. They've actually done some looking at women who've won Olympic gold medals and found that many of them actually have this mild version of PCOS. So it was probably a survival advantage. They had slightly reduced fertility, but not severe. So maybe instead of having eight kids, they had four, which is actually an advantage because it gave them more time with each child. And they didn't go through the childbirthing process, which was risky. You know, people died sometimes from childbirth. So, and that depleted their body of nutrients and iron and so forth. So it was actually an advantage. But fast forward to today. Can now, we just pause really, yeah. really quickly? Can, and for all the women listening who have been struggling with PCOS for years, there you have it, ladies. This was actually started as something that was really good about our about our genetics just naturally. So once again, the human body is an amazing biochemical machine that has your best interests at heart. The problem is, is that our bodies haven't caught up, which I think is where you're going with today, right? So where are we today That's with this? Right. There are many genes that have survival advantages, but when we put them in our current, we'll say, civilized environment, it actually turns it on its head. And that's what happened with PCOS. So now what's been found 
is, as in many things, the root cause is actually environmental toxicants, nutritional lifestyle changes. So now in women, we have such major changes in exposures. So we have this ubiquitous chemical called BPA, and that's where most of the research has been done. But of course, it's always more complicated than that. It's just that's where the focus has been. We live in chemical soup, you know, in terms of air pollution, plastics of all sorts, flame retardants, stick retardants, and so on. But a lot of the focus has been on bisphenol A. So this is what is in hard plastics. It's in can liners, um, cash register receipts, the little papers that you get at the airport when you, you, know, you get your printed boarding pass and so forth. And it's actually used as a dental sealant in kids. So it's really in everyone. And it's, it's just a question of how much. Well, it turns out that women with PCOS, especially the more severe forms, may be a little bit less capable at eliminating this from their bodies. So it's a combination of how much exposure the timing of the exposure, for example, when in utero, when you're being developed, when your hormone receptors are being formed, do you have exposure to this and other chemicals? And then at key developmental like puberty times and so forth. And then once again, combined with your ability to excrete these products that are getting in your body. So you get one chance to make the body right, right? When you're in utero and you're being formed and it's the same thing for every part of the body including hormone receptors. So now it's been shown that women with PCOS have some malfunctioning of their estrogen receptors. And it's been shown for both the alpha and the beta. So there's different types of receptors, alpha, beta, and membrane. And alpha and beta both have some altered receptor function so that they don't respond properly to the estrogen. It's like it doesn't quite fit in as well as it should and then turn the on switch on as well as it should. So now we have a situation where women with PCOS, because their aromatase enzyme is not quite as robust, they have more testosterone, less estradiol, the, the key estrogen, and the estrogen that they're making isn't functioning as well because it, it's not turning the on switch on in the receptors as well. So essentially, it's like you have even less estrogen. Now, estrogen, it turns out, is the master of metabolic homeostasis. In other words, it keeps everything in the body working together in perfect harmony. It's really important, and a lot of doctors don't understand this, that reproduction and all the rest of the aspects of health, which we call metabolic functioning, they're all linked together. Nature made it that way so that healthy women would be reproducing, right? We don't want unhealthy women reproducing. They and their babies would not survive. So Estrogen is the link between all of metabolic function, like maintaining, producing energy, how your heart works, your gut works, your brain works, everything in the body is related to estrogen. There are receptors for estrogen on every organ to help regulate every function, as well as all the reproductive organs. It's one body and it's all linked. And estrogen is like the glue that keeps it all working and humming perfectly. So women with PCOS have less of this in their body, less estradiol, less functioning estradiol. So basically, it's a little bit like advanced aging. It's a little bit like being in menopause when you're young. Now, in terms of having less estrogen in your body, and that's why when you actually look at a lot of the metabolic features, they're very similar to what women get after menopause, like hypertension, more heart disease, and prediabetes and diabetes. So understanding that 
really for the first time that es- that really estrogen deficiency underlies all of the metabolic, all of the reproductive symptoms and function problems that women with PCOS have is a totally new revolutionary way of understanding it. And then we have to look at all the ways that having less estrogen in the body affects the body. For example, we can talk about like the rhythms of the body, maintaining the proper gut barrier function, gut microbiome, you know, vascular system, brain health. So suddenly, you know, we're living in a, a body that has estrogen deficiency, has so many different manifestations because estrogen exists as a very important hormone on every organ, involving every organ. So suddenly it all starts making sense. And then there are ways that we can, I call it the backdoor ways, and we can talk about how we can get all of these different functions in the body to work optimally because it's not like we have no estrogen, it's reduced. And that's really important. And there are ways that we can work to get everything to be better so that the receptors will work better. Our ovaries will make estrogen better you know, by reducing inflammation in the ovaries. So there's so many things we can do to turn the clock back so that we could be more like that ancient woman with PCOS who actually was like the superwoman of her tribe. Wow. Okay. So let's just summarize that. So we were talking about some root causes of PCOS being chronic inflammation, nutritional changes, environmental toxicants like BPA, um, which really, and gut dysbiosis, insulin resistance, really. And then we see these hormonal imbalances, I think, as an effect of some of these, you know, early life exposures, for example, to, to, to BPA, and then this malfunction malfunctioning in the receptors. Um, and so this, what really at the root root of all of this, what happens is we can't convert testosterone to estrogen as effectively. And we end up with estrogen deficiency. Um, and when we have that, because estrogen is in each organ system, it really affects us on multiple platforms. It's not just, oh, let me go to this doctor for my, you know, heart issues. Let me go to this doctor for my acne. This is all being kind of caused by the same couple of things. And what the root, it sounds like, and I know from your advanced training you did on the Dutch uh, classes about the estrogen deficiency. And this is revolutionary because most people don't think of it like this, correct? That's right. And, and it's uh, estrogen is on all of the immune cells. So when you don't have enough properly made estradiol. And I always like to just make sure everyone understands that estrogen comes in different types and estradiol is the main one from the ovary that is really in the deficiency state in women with PCOS. And there are receptors on the immune cells. And this has been proven way back in the late 1990s that women with PCOS have a heightened immune response to any sort of inflammatory stimulus. So for example, if you have the wrong gut microbiome and you make toxins in your gut that they call lipopolysaccharides or endotoxins, and they actually leak out into the body where the immune system lies surrounding the gut, these immune cells are like powder kegs and they will respond by producing inflammatory cytokines at a more robust, with with more robust quantity and at a lower trigger. So it creates this chronic state of inflammation and inflammation really underlies so much of what's going on in all the different organ systems of the body in women with PCOS. And when you have this inflammation, you also have more insulin resistance. And then insulin resistance, it goes down this, you know, this pathway that you get more insulin, and insulin can actually bind to other receptors on the ovary called 
IGF-1 receptors, which trigger even more testosterone to be produced. <laughs> so it's like this machine that keeps driving this problem to greater heights in women and recognizing this chronic low level of inflammation, which is underlying. And then there's so much we can do. And I know you talk about this all the time, how we can lower inflammation through mm-hmm. lifestyle changes so yes. that we can help women with PCOS and, and other conditions. Because I look at PCOS, even for women who don't have PCOS, it's like the poster child of how metabolic issues link to reproductive issues and how when you do lifestyle approaches and recognizing the negative impact of our lifestyle changes, the wrong diet, too much light, not going to bed at the right time, not eating at the right time. How all, you don't have to have PCOS to have many of these same, these same manifestations. And so most of the same lifestyle changes that really are necessary for PCOS women really apply to every woman across the board. Because that's why I say I call it like the poster child of how all of this links together and how reproductive functions and menstrual cycles become abnormal when you have metabolic issues. And, and this, these are the things that really should be driven home to all the young women who in their teens are having irregular cycles, even if they don't have PCOS, to understand that a lot of these same mechanisms are at play. They just are lucky that they don't have this innate problem with their enzyme aromatase, and so they don't have that innate issue with too much testosterone versus not enough estradiol. But all these other factors are coming into play across the board in in women, really, regardless of whether they have PCOS. So it's really um, not all the things that we talk about really apply to every woman and and at every age, right? Because everyone needs to recognize the impact of these lifestyle issues in creating inflammation. It's just a question of degree. Yes, and we and we call uh, in FDN language we call this metabolic chaos because <laughs> we're functional <laughs> diagnostic nutrition practitioners. We're not doctors, so we don't diagnose or treat anything. But we just call kind of this whole cluster metabolic chaos. It's like the only thing we quote diagnose, <laughs> and so yeah. that means that it's you perfect. have to it's perfect. yeah exactly. And so it means you know what it means, ladies, is that as FDNs, what we do is like we support the whole body system, and as you can see, it's so connected. This is why you, you can't like treat the head, it's connected to the arm, right? <laughs> the whole body, last time I checked, is connected to itself. <laughs> and Dr. Gersh brought up such a good um, example that I see so much in my practice and something that I think people don't think to look at when they have PCOS is like the, one of the first things I run, um, I mean, I run a lot of testing when I work with PCOS clients. Um, and, and Dr. Gersh also outlines a lot of really crucial tests to ask your doctor for in her book, PCOS SOS. But one of the things I always look for is, is gut dysbiosis, um, H. pylori mm-hmm. pathogens. I, I have a, a PCOS client right now who, who whose gut is filled with um, opportunistic bacteria, yeast overgrowth, issues like this. This is a huge stressor on the body, you know, as well. So we have to look at the whole picture and get to these root causes. So we only have probably 10 minutes left. I'd love to go into, you, you kind of skimmed through them, but I know you have a lot of uh, research and opinions about the foundational things that women can do to get their body back online. It's probably way more than we can fit into 10 minutes, but you know, where do women start? And another thing I want to make sure that we cover is um, around metformin, because I know a lot of women who are listening are probably like mm-hmm. on metformin. And so when you talk about the supplements, you know, are there any issues with taking it with metformin? What, I know berberine outperforms metformin. So let's talk about some of the lifestyle things that people can do and how that cross crosses in with pharmaceuticals. <laughs> sure. So 
there are just certain very critical steps. The first thing is to understand these underlying things that you mentioned, that women with PCOS have circadian rhythm dysfunction. That means they're like living a life of jet lag. And that's because estrogen is actually controlling the master clock in the brain. So without adequate estrogen made by the ovaries, it drifts. So you have like you're a little bit off every day. So the way that you can help to get your clock back on track is by getting proper light exposure and going to bed at the right time. So this is really critical. So you want to get bright light in the morning when you wake up. And if you can't get it through natural sunlight, you can buy a light box. You can also, you should also do that around midday. And then in the evening, you should try to go out and watch the sunset. The beautiful colors of the sunset will actually help to suppress your cortisol and bring out the production of melatonin. And I can't say enough praise for melatonin. There are ovarian receptors for melatonin. It's really critical for proper ovulation. So sleep is essential for proper menstrual function. And so it's for so women- important. So sorry to, I just wanted oh. to jump in because there's a really popular episode we talked about like how to get proper sleep uh, with Devin Burke. And we talked about how in the morning cortisol is supposed to be highest and in the evening it's supposed to be low. But when it's high in the evening, your your melatonin, you have an suppressed. issue, right? Suppressed. Yeah. And I know in your book, you talked about how women mm-hmm. with PCOS have this issue with this. I think it's with the reversal or there's they something flipped. going on. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. oh my goodness. Wow. So circadian so. rhythm is super, super important for PCOS women. Oh, huge. So you can, by the bright light, will suppress, you know, the cortisol, uh, will will raise the cortisol and suppress the melatonin in the morning. The sunset, the beautiful colors will suppress the cortisol and bring up the melatonin. And then going to bed at night, you should try to go to bed between 10 o'clock is great, but certainly by 11 so that you can get your proper peak of melatonin at 2 a.m., which is critical. I can't, it reduces inflammation. It helps you ovulate. And you should either be in a very dark room or like what I do, I wear a sleep mask because my room has too much ambient light. You want the room to be really, really dark. Even a little bit of light coming through your eyelids, just tiny bits, will lower your melatonin. So getting proper light and proper dark at the right time. Women who work shift work and work at, work at night, they have very high rates of everything bad you can think of, including irregular cycles and infertility. So getting proper light and dark and proper sleep is essential. And then to also get your clocks in order, you want to eat to the beat, I call it. So you want to eat when you're most insulin sensitive. And that actually is genetically programmed to be in the morning hours. So it's really not what we do socially, but it's really for your health. Try to eat a big breakfast. And, you know, they have like cliches about this, right, about eating, you know, like like a king in the morning and so on. So you want to eat a giant breakfast and then a medium lunch and a very small dinner if you can and try to stop eating early, preferably by seven or even earlier, but at least three hours before you go to bed and no snacking. It's really key to get your insulin down. Like I mentioned, so many women with PCOS have problems with their weight. You can't multitask, okay, when it comes to weight. You can't be burning and building at the same time. You want to burn fat. That means you have to keep your insulin levels down. Insulin is life required. You need to have insulin to live. But when women have too much insulin, they maintain and build too much fat. They promote too much testosterone, too much inflammation. So the only way to get insulin down is to stop eating, okay, So and eat the right foods. So you don't want to eat foods that are going to raise your insulin level um, and raise your sugar level. 
and you don't want to eat too often. So try to eat a big breakfast when you're most likely to clear the glucose from your blood fast and keep your insulin levels down. So eat big breakfast, eat small dinners, and no snacks. But if you desperately have to have a snack, make it something that won't raise your blood sugar like a fat. So I recommend like a few slivers of avocado, maybe um, a macadamia nut, or some olives if you really have to snack. But hydrate. There's so many wonderful teas. And spearmint tea has been shown to help lower testosterone if you love spearmint tea. But there's no bad herbal teas. <laughs> They're all great. And I recommend them. Staying hydrated is wonderful. And so you want to eat to the beat. And then you want to feed your gut microbiome. Those little critters are so important. They're part of us. They're like our relatives. And they need to be healthy and happy so that they, we can have a healthy gut um, and we have a barrier that works. So we don't have toxins from our internal gut being produced and leaking into our body. And the foods that our gut microbes love are fiber foods, polyphenols, plant-based foods. So I do recommend high, high amounts of plants. Um, no one has ever died of eating too many vegetables. I mean, that's like not going to happen. And so, you know, you, I'd say put so many on your plate that you just can't even finish them. Right? And don't be afraid of fruit. That's another new motto because fruit is not what gives people diabetes. Okay, Eating an apple is not what causes diabetes. I really want to make sure people know that. They don't have to be afraid of eating organic apples. So I do recommend that you don't eat fruit between meals, though, because remember, I said no snacking. So eat a piece of fruit with your meal. And if you have to have dessert for whatever reason, make it with breakfast because that's when you're going to lower get that glucose out of your bloodstream faster and you won't have as much of an insulin rise. So we want to feed those gut friends of ours, those little microbes, they need the fiber. And by the way, that will help you lose weight. It'll help you feel full. And um, there's so many wonderful vegetables. Root, and don't be afraid of root vegetables. I, you know, They say, oh, they're full of starch. Yes, that is good. That's the starch that feeds your microbes. And that's not why people did not get diabetes because they ate um, a rutabaga or a, a beet. I mean, I wish people would stop. The people are afraid of the wrong things. So don't be afraid of a carrot. Okay, please. Um, mm. And in addition, exercise. So movement, fitness, it improves serotonin, which so, so does sunlight. By the way, sunlight is medicine. That's why it's not just setting your clock. You make serotonin from sunlight. And there are actually receptors in the brain that, that go connect to the eye when you have sun exposure. And from there comes melatonin. That's why people who spend a lot of time outside in the sun, they sleep like babies at night, right? So sunlight is, is wonderful. Exercising outside, um, there, it's wonderful. Don't start with um, high-intensity exercise, so please, because you're going to get injuries. Remember, women are more prone to inflammation in their joints. So work with a trainer if you can. But or learn from an expert. We don't want injuries, you know, like the, the weekend warriors who go out and then they try to do something way over the top. So I'm all in favor. I love high-intensity interval training, but don't start with that right out the gate, okay? Start with brisk walking. And after meals, if you take a brisk walk, you'll actually lower your blood sugar. So don't, don't, um, don't go in over your head right from the get-go. Wonderful. Thank you so much for going through all that. And there is so much more for us to cover. We might have to do a part two. Her book is quite lengthy. So again, this is Dr. Felice Gersh. Her book is PCOS SOS. Um, 
Thank you so much for being on the show. And, and where else can people find you outside of your book? I think you have another book and a website and a practice. So tell us about I that. I do. Well, I have my second book, which is for people really trying to get pregnant, which is PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. It's a 12-week program, week by week, telling you exactly what to do. And I go into a lot of fasting, which we didn't get into today. But um, but that's also a little bit more advanced. I don't start people out fasting, just like I don't start out with high in- intensity interval training right out the first week. Okay. So these are things we work too. So um, I have that book and then I have an office where I see patients and also do telemedicine. I'm located in Irvine, California. I have the integrative medical group of Irvine and I do a little Instagram show at dr. Period Felice Gersh. That's my Instagram live, um, which I do every week. So I would love to have people follow me there and, um, you know, use me in any way I can, that they can, you know, look at my website, which is integrativemgi.com or come to see me or use me for telemedicine or just watch my Instagram show or read my book. Perfect. Any which way I can help, I'm here to Perfect. do the best I can. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We have to wrap up and we'll see you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. when we're talking about how American life destroys the gut with Kimberly Kay. Talk to you then. Thank you for joining us this week for She Talks Health. Please join Sophie Shepard again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time for another episode of our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.